Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with PartnerVest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of PartnerVest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. PartnerVest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Don't hesitate to contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of any and all of our shows and interviews, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright. Today is August 28, 2015. We're very pleased you've joined us, and we're happy to have with us Ross Givens, Chief Market Strategist for M. Empire Wealth. Ross speaks to us from their headquarters in Mobile, Alabama. Ross, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Charlie, thanks so much for having me on. So, Ross, uh, other than the fact that uh, you're an Auburn grad here, give us some of your background. Well, I've been in investments for a long time. I, uh, I actually bought my first stock at 12 years old, and uh, it was Microsoft. And looking back, if I had just held that thing, I uh, probably wouldn't have to work anymore. But, um, you know, I, I got out, I got a degree in finance from Auburn. I worked at several money management firms and trading companies and a few educational firms. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're on the inside of the money management business, with some exceptions, the great bulk that I was just finding was, I don't want to use the word boring, but it became at a level where the average investor um, I just don't think it's properly served. I think they pay, you know, what they pay in fees and commissions and things like that eat up a lot of their potential returns. And there's, as you guys bring to your listeners on a regular basis, there is a lot of great strategic investment strategy available to people that is just not being put in front of them. So that's really my motivation to work. What we do with our company is try to show people other ways to, to build and grow well. Hey, well, uh, you know, you're preaching to the choir on that one here, Ross, so the, we're very, very pleased to hear that. So tell us uh, how Empire Wealth uh, uses uh, strategies and non-mainstream approaches to investments to benefit your clients. Well, besides actually Wealth Empire, it, it's all the same, Charlie. Um, but, yeah, you know, what we do, you know, our, our basic premise is this. I mean, we want to empower people to build their own, you know, quote-unquote, wealth empire. People hear that and think, oh, well, I need $5 million to do this. And, look, I don't care if you're saving $100 a month or $10,000 a month. You must approach it as if you were building yourself your own personal empire. And so, you know, most people, all they think of is a 401K or an IRA plan put into some, you know, lagging mutual fund that underperforms the market and paying out a bunch of fees – when there's lots of options out there, depending on what you're good at, what you're interested in, and you know, where your, your skill set is, whether that's rental properties, whether that is the stock market, whether it's you know, tax lien certificates or owning timberland or you know, any number of opportunities out there. And, and people don't have to understand everything. You know, people look at the market and think, well, you know, there's these tech stocks trading at 600 times earnings, and then there's 
steel companies and there's this and there's REITs and there's bonds. And you don't have to understand it all. You just have to find a couple of areas of the market or any market that you're comfortable with, that you understand, and you can consistently make some relatively safe, consistent returns. And that's what we try to teach people to do. Okay, so Ross, give us uh, so a little more specific information here about if a client comes in and uh, they're going to work with you, uh, how do you identify with them and what are some of the things you're looking to uncover and what, what are some of the investments you're looking to put them into that a typical uh, uh, Merrill Lynch or, or other wirehouse investment advisor is not going to work with them on? Well, we generally start kind of in the stock market, just because that's where most people are familiar with. Now, what our, one of our main services is something called the 13F Insider, and it's like a newsletter I put out every month. It's extremely in-depth. It's like $100 for an entire year. And what it does is we track the top hedge fund managers in the country and try to identify their highest conviction traits. So take someone – I mean, we're all familiar with like a Warren Buffett, right? But he's a little bit harder to track these days because of how much he's managing. Take someone like David Tepper. Okay, he's a he's a hedge fund titan, manages, you know, billions and billions of dollars. He's produced, you know, 20 or 30% a year on average for decades. He's absolutely, uh, you know, a god on Wall Street, so to speak. And this guy, you know, managing 20, 30, 40 billion dollars is holding a portfolio of maybe 20 stocks. Now, your average guy over at Merrill holding 16 mutual funds, each of those that has 500, 600 stocks in it, He's so diversified, he can't outperform for the most part. I, I give you the example of David Tepper, for instance. His number one stock holding, as of his most recent filing, is General Motors. Now, GM, not a stock we typically look at and think, oh, it's, you know, it's a sexy you know, dot-com or biotech company, but it's a company trading at a price. Uh, as of today, it's somewhere around $28, $29 a share. Analysts are expecting this company to produce around $4.50 a share in earnings over the next fiscal year, that's a forward multiple like six, six and a half times when you've got the market trading at 16 or 17 times. So it's a very basic investment, but when you've got one of the top guys on Wall Street managing $50 billion, owning millions of shares, you know, he's putting his entire reputation line, large part of it on one stock, that's a high conviction idea, and that's something we want to bring to our subscribers and say, look, Here's the top dog. Here's where he's putting his money. He's made billions of dollars doing this. I'm going to take his opinion over, you know, some guy at Ameriprise who happens to sell pretty well and pushes whatever mutual funds they tell him. Okay. So, so can, for the benefit of our listeners here, Ross, can you talk about what a 13F filing is? Sure. So the 13F, you know, a lot of these big mutual, these big hedge fund managers, they are forced by the Securities and Exchange Commission to file once a quarter a report called a 13F. And what that does, it discloses all of their open stock positions. So if you went to one of these large hedge funds, and most of them require at least a million dollars just to even invest in it, they're going to charge you 2% of the money you have. So if you have a million dollars, they're going to charge you, you know, $20,000 a year just, to, just for the privilege of being in. And then they're going to take 20% of the profits on top of that. Now, if instead I can identify, and this is all public information that people know where to find it, if I can identify the stocks they're buying and say, okay, well, he bought a huge chunk of this stock. And, for example, Tepper bought you know, General Motors at $33, $34, $35 range. Now we've got it trading even lower than that. Now we've got the opportunity 
to kind of piggyback his trade, get in a price even better than he paid, and not have to pay all those absorbent fees to participate. And so it's one of those, I call it a secret. It's not a secret. It's public information. Just a lot of people had to research and how to find this stuff and how to determine are they building into a position? Are they working their way out of one? You know, are they loading up on bank stocks? Are they loading up on, you know, tech stocks? Where are they getting into? Where are they getting out of? Where do they see the best opportunity? Okay, and so, Ross, exactly how, how do you use this? So so you look at these 13F filings, let's just say, of what, a half a dozen to a dozen different uh, hedge fund managers, hedge funds that you're aware of. You see what they have moved into, and then do you create a little fund and you put your clients into that fund, or you, do you identify one or two of the most common positions and just recommend that people invest in those directly? How do you use those 13F filings? in order to directly benefit your clients yeah we try to look we try to let the, the client put the information in front of them and let them use it to their ability so you know we're not directly managing money anymore i did that for a while as a jp morgan and as anyone who's been in this industry knows the more licenses you have the more power you have the more money you're you're managing for people the less freedom you really have and so i guess that's good and bad if you don't know what you're doing it's good right these guys who don't really know what they're doing they're good salesmen you don't want them picking stocks for you, but you know you've got a guy who really understands the market and finds good opportunities. Finra's going to shut me down for putting you, you know, fifteen percent of your portfolio on one stock. So what we do, I put out a monthly report that identifies, and I track fifty-five what I've identified to be the top hedge fund managers in the country. These are guys have been have you know ten-year greater track record, been outperforming the index, have low turnover ratios. I mean, you know, they're not day trading and getting in and out, they're buying stocks they want to hold for two to three years. I just look out for and alert clients to those big, high-conviction ideas, right? So if a guy puts, you know, one-half of 1% of his portfolio into something, that's not really setting off any flags for me. But if a a guy's managing $30 billion, he just put 20% of his entire fund into one stock, that's a high-conviction idea. So we bring the clients in the report, detail what the stock is, why we think they bought it, what their exposure is. Um, and, you know, identify it as a potential big opportunity for the next few years. I see. Okay. And so how often do you uh, publish this this newsletter? Newsletter goes out once a month. Um, occasionally I'll do some intramonth alerts. The 13F, the, the report we talked about earlier, is quarterly. Now, if a fund manager buys more than 5% of a publicly traded company, that has to be disclosed almost immediately. I think they have 10 trading days to disclose that. So if a huge trade pops up, you know, Warren Buffett just bought XYZ, bought a huge chunk of it in the middle of the month, I'll alert subscribers to that, uh, you know, with a direct email. But for the most part, you know, these guys, look, you're pushing around $20 billion. You know, you and I get into a stock. I want to buy some Apple. I can put in an order. It's filled within two seconds. I'm on the way. If you're buying 10 million shares... It takes some time to get filled, right? They're calling different brokers. It takes them a month to get into a stock. It takes them a month to get out of a stock. Yeah. So you have a lot more time. They're not actively trading this stuff. They're building long-term positions. So we generally have, once this stuff becomes filed and comes public, usually the stock hasn't moved a whole lot. Subscribers have plenty of time to get in if they want a piece of the trade, want to piggyback that idea. 
um, and, and hopefully ride it for some future returns. Okay. You know, Ross, hold that right there. We need to take a short break. Uh, we'll be right back. We're talking with Ross Givens, Chief Market Strategist for uh, Wealth Empire out of Mobile, Alabama. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. And now back to Charlie and his guests. Thank you, Paul. We're talking with Ross Givens, Chief Market Strategist for Wealth Empire. And, uh, Mark, as I understand it here then, uh, you publish a newsletter called 13F Filings, and you look at those filings called 13F Filings with the SEC that are filed by uh, hedge funds, and they tell what the current holdings are of those hedge funds, and you evaluate dozens of those hedge funds. You see what it is they're holding, and then you send out to your subscribers information about who who, who are the top holdings of those so that they can participate like the hedge funds do. Is, is, that, is that a good description of what you do here, Ross? 100% right. Okay, very good. So, so how is this working? I, I, you know, uh, we've interviewed uh, dozens and dozens of people. I, I know about lots of uh, newsletter writers, and I've heard of lots of strategies. This is the first time I've heard of this one. Our congratulations that uh, you are doing something unique and different. How is it working? Well, it's going really well. I mean, the, the track records are a little bit difficult to track because we're not actually managing a pool of funds, right? It's not as if we're saying, okay, here's here's Apple stock, here's our new one, we're going to put 3% of the portfolio in that, all right? We have some subscribers who are, you know, extremely aggressive type investors who have, you know, want to do it with the use of call options or other leverage um, and amplify the returns. We have others who just kind of equally disperse funds. It really depends on how you go about it. But, look, I mean, the way I'm looking at it, if you've got the 55 top hedge fund managers over the last decade plus, you're picking their top stocks and their biggest ideas. If they're not going to outperform the index, it may be best to look at another way of investing, right? Because if right. the best of the best can't do it very well, you know, what what shot the rest of us have? And, look, I'm an old stock picker. I mean, I, I used to dig through stock scanners and, 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 you know, any stock that came across my radar, digging through the financial reports and trying to understand the company and, you know, you read, you read your point, you're like, look, why am I digging through 10,000 publicly traded companies when I can see what the best guys in the industry are doing, take their top 20 or 30 stocks, and pick from there? It's just it's just picking, you know, it's, it's shooting out of a barrel, so to speak. You're picking from a much richer 
uh, basket of opportunities there. Well, and no question about it, it's the ultimate cherry picking in, in stocks. Now, he, here's a question, Ross. Uh, hedge funds, as we all know, are, are known for their unique strategies. I mean, they are not like mutual funds where they're long only in a particular uh, focus segment of uh, the economy. They are focused all over the place. I saw an interview the other day with a very famous hedge fund manager, and he was saying that he was shorting Argentine bonds. Okay, mm-hmm. so these hedge fund managers are in international things. They're shorting, uh, and and they're in long short strategies, etc. Do you do those things as well, or do you simply pick the long positions in U.S. stocks? I'm a firm believer in keeping it simple, whether we're talking about investments or cars or anything. And so, I try not to get into the too exotic stuff. I mean, look, those guys have some great information. They have phenomenal research teams. They can get short Argentine bonds based on some conversation they had at a White House dinner with it. You know, I mean, they they just have information you and I can't touch. But a lot of those investments are so complicated. I mean, this is the point. They they have to call you know Goldman actually have them create a contract for them. So the real exotic stuff, I don't try to get into it. Um, I, you know, I'm not trying to confuse our subscribers and confuse general investors. For the most part, we're sticking to domestic stocks, ETFs, um, long positions that we can easily track and follow in any you know E-Trade or TD Ameritrade or Fidelity account. Um, and that's and that's the guys we follow as well. I mean, you know, you mentioned that a lot of these guys have complex strategies. You look at someone like Renaissance Technologies. You know, it's a, it's a it's a hedge fund out of New York. It's really interesting. The guy doesn't hire anybody with Wall Street experience. He only hires, you know, PhD computer programmers and mathematicians and physicists, and they trade completely robotically based on, you know, all these complex algorithms and strategies. That's not someone we're following, okay? It does well for him, but I can't piggyback his trades and follow what he's doing based on a model. He gets in and out of stocks on a daily basis. So instead, I'm finding, I'm following Warren Buffett-type managers who buy stocks the intention of holding them two, three, five, ten years down the road, who are trying to get in when it presents an opportunity of value um, that he thinks will create real shareholder value in in the future. So that's, again, we're just thinking, we're, we're keeping it simple, sticking to the stuff that anyone can follow. Yeah, and, and we can certainly see why you would do that, because, uh, you know, probably most of your subscribers wouldn't know what to do if uh, you talk to them about, uh, you know, short uh, Argentine bonds here. Uh, do you also yeah. recommend um, exiting positions for the same reasons, or do you come up with other reasons to exit positions, or do you talk about exiting positions? No, we will. I mean, generally the exiting, you know, if it's, a, if it's a trade I really understand well. Like I mentioned General Motors before, David Tepper, a manager I respect and have a lot of uh, reverence for, he's loading the boat on General Motors. He actually added some call options to put leverage on it. This is a trade I understand. The company's supposed to earn 4 bucks a share, it's trading at 30 If it gets in line with just a 15 times earnings multiple below the market, and they meet their expectations, that could be a $60 stock. So you buy it below 30 sell it at 60 that's a nice win over the year, year and a half, if it happens like we're expecting. In that case, sure, we see GM at $60, $65, $70 a share. I'm going to issue a seller. On the other hand, we you know we track what they sell just like we track what they buy. So if they build up a huge position in Apple and they start, it used to be 20% of the portfolio, now it's 15 now it's 10 now it's 5 and they're selling, say, okay, look, the reason we got into this trade and, and, and you know, the – the mastermind behind it is cutting exposure. He's taking profits. He's moving out. 
so we're going to kind of act in kind and move along with that. Okay, so uh, do you see, has anyone uh, recognized or brought up to you any specific potential disadvantages of this approach? The advantages are obvious, okay, and you you have stated them in a very compelling way. Uh, What potential disadvantages are there here? Well, there's a couple disadvantages, and and the first one is these guys, for the most part, are gamblers, okay? You don't don't become a self-made billionaire by playing it safe, so... There's a lot of guys who bet really heavy. I mean, we all know, you know, the big names, look at Soros or something. Some of these guys that made huge money in 09 betting on the collapse of U.S. backed mortgage securities and things like that. They made fantastic returns, you know, 100, 200% in a year, and then kind of underperformed following that. So I've tried to um, kind of remove that risk by being really selective in the people we follow that, like I said, have consistent. 10, sometimes 20, 30-year track, track records of consistently performing, not flash in the pan, hedge funds that had a great year and then didn't do anything after. And then the other risk to it is, is like we talked about with Renaissance, you know, some of these funds that are really active and get in and out. You know, If they get a big position, the stock jumps, they dump it a month later, and we don't find out about it for a month after that, it could be terrible. So, again, I've tried to avoid that risk as well by focusing on only those managers with low turnover ratios, ones that generally hold stocks for two, three, four years going forward. But there's, there's not a, I mean, there's, there's going to be some risk in the fact that it's more volatile, right? I mean, these guys are betting heavily on individual securities and not holding 300, 400, 500 different stocks. So you're going to get more portfolio fluctuation just because of the fact that you're more concentrated. But, you know, if you want to make, if you want to outperform in the market, you know, one, of the, one of the surest ways to not beat the market is do what everyone else is doing. Right. They hold a bunch of mutual funds that hold a million different stocks. You can't outperform. So you have to take a little bit more risk, and you have to be a little bit more concentrated. But those are the big risks I see. And and like I said, I've tried my best to, to avoid them and help our subscribers avoid them. Okay, well, and we appreciate your your forthrightness here in, in admitting that. So, do they only? Did you only focus on U.S. stocks? How about like gold, or how about sector ETFs and those kinds of things? Yeah, definitely watching that as well. I mean, most of the, the individual stocks are U.S. stocks because it's the easiest thing to do, and that's where the the, the bulk of the large trades we see are coming. Um, but as far as sectors, like, for instance, I've seen a lot of our top managers getting into the energy sector right now. Carl Icahn, um, you know, mid-August announced that he took a big position in Chinnery, is it Chinier or Chinier Energy, figure symbol LNG, and he bought like 8.5% of the company. Now, he bought that stock over the next three weeks. You know, we had that terrible downturn um, in late August, and hopefully it, things stabilize for September. Um, and energy prices have been falling, and the stock is down, you know, 10 15% as of today from where he bought it. But he's making a big big uh, bet there. I've seen a lot of other fund managers doing that. And so that's what I tend to see with these top managers is they're not buying a stock as, oh, it's going up, I want that. They tend to buy stocks more often than not when they're down because they want they are deep value investors, similar to Buffett and Graham and all the the legends that kind of laid the framework for this. So they're they're big buying into unloved areas right now in the approach that hey these prices have fallen more than they should. It's out of favor. Nobody wants it. So when things turn around, there's a huge upside in it. So energy is one of those areas right now. You know, the oil exploration and drilling stocks, 
obviously trying to stick to the very large companies, not these small cap shale producers that could go out of business if prices stay low. And gold's another area. You know, I've been watching, I follow uh, an ETF, GDX, just a market vectors gold mining ETF. Right. And it's just a basket of you know, the, lar- the, the largest gold mining companies out there. That's the ones the, uh, that are left. <laughs> yeah, the ones that are left, right. But, you know, look, I mean, when you're, when you're investing in an unloved area like that, it's not when you want to gamble on penny stocks or, you know, some up-and-coming. You want to bet on the biggest guys out there. In 2009, when the market was collapsing, you wanted to buy Goldman, you wanted to buy Wells Fargo, you wanted to buy the big banks. Same thing with gold right now. Those stocks, on average, net ETF, are trading at about 90% of book value right now. And the last time these stocks traded below book value was back in the 90s. And so does it look great right now? No, but basic law of supply and demand, if gold gets down below that all-in sustaining cost or below that price that it costs miners to get it out of the ground, they're going to stop mining it, right? If it costs you $1,000 an ounce to get it out of the ground and you can only sell it for $900, you are not in any hurry to get it out of the ground. Yeah, no question. So if you... Yes, you know, as you stop mining, supply goes down, and just basic, you know, laws of physics, the price is going to go up. So over the long term, the next several years, that that would clearly lead to a price reversal in gold. And so, that's a way to get into that without you know, having to bet on the price of the metal, without having to make a huge bet into one stock, but you're just getting exposure to that whole gold mining sector. Um, and hoping to get some appreciation there. Right. So tell us, uh, Ross, a question we always like to ask our guests is, uh, what keeps you awake at night? Oh, man. That's a good question. Um, leverage keeps me awake at night. You know, I've got, uh, as I mentioned, we you know we follow the high conviction ideas, and, and I, I'm a fairly aggressive investor myself. I mean, I tell my subscribers to do what I'm doing, but, you know, General Motors, you mentioned, for instance, and just a disclaimer, I am long General Motors, um, and I did it through the use of call options, you know, so it's, there's some leverage behind that. So now I'm not doing it for calls that are going to expire a week from now or a month from now. I'm betting on it to mature over the next year and a half to two years through leaps. So, you know, we get wild swings like that. They're, they're going to bother everybody a little bit. But, you know, for the most part, like these downturns, and I was on, we mentioned during the break, I was on Fox Business earlier this week, and Stuart Barney's asking me, you know, what's with this downturn? A lot of our clients are long-term investors. What would you tell them to do? And I said, buy stocks. They're on sale. You know, people people shop for stocks differently than anything in their life. If you're buying a, you find your dream home and it's for sale for three hundred thousand dollars. You don't want to spend that much. Three months later, it's listed at two fifty. Then it's listed at two hundred. Then it's listed at one fifty. Eventually, you're going to say, "Is this too good of a deal? I've got to buy it." Same thing for a car or a new suit or a dress or anything you want to buy. When it comes to stocks, the more expensive they get the more people want them. And the cheaper they get, the less they want them. It's just a complete reversal. So really what keeps me up at night is when prices get too expensive. When the market is just too strong, I can't find any deals, and I start to get worried this whole thing could tank. So I actually like the pullbacks. I like retracements. I like it when prices get cheap um, and just buying into those oversold conditions. Yeah, uh, but, but unfortunately, uh, clients can get very nervous during those times. So uh, question number two for you here, Ross. Uh, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? Oh, goodness. Well, I think to any value investor, um, Benjamin Graham stuff is probably as close to the investing Bible as out there. You know, you look at The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, a book that Warren Buffett, as clearly said, changed his life, written by his mentor, Ben Graham. 
you know, you look at Daniel Logue, you look at David Tepper, and these big fund managers, they've all read, they all follow it. Um, they've all taken those lessons to heart when it comes to investing. I mean, that that book creates a very basic analogy, which, if it clicks with you, will really change the way you invest. And the, the analogy he gives, he says, imagine the stock market is a person named Mr. Market, okay? And say Mr. Market is your boss, and let's say he gives you he gives you 10% equity in the company you work for. You know the company, you believe it, you think it's going to go well, you own 10%. And every day when you come into work, he offers you a price to buy that business from you. Some days it's less than what you think it's worth. You say, no, you're going to pass. Some days it's about what you think it's worth. And every once in a while he comes in and offers you a price that you think is so high, what you own is nowhere near that, and you're going to take it. And that's how he approaches the stock market. It's what the price of the day is not what it's valued at. It's just the price of the day. Sometimes prices are going to be great. They're going to be cheap. It's a good deal. Sometimes prices are going to be very high. It's very expensive. It's a good time to sell or at least not buy. And that old Mr. Market approach is so simple, but it really changed the way I looked at stocks, changed the way I looked at investing, and really puts you in the right mindset and avoid you from just chasing, you know, oh, Tesla was at 30, now it's at 300, i got to buy something. That's just not a sound form of making money. Yeah, no question. Well, thank you for that recommendation here, Ross. You're not the first one to recommend that book, and I hope that our listeners are uh, taking that to heart here. So give our listeners your contact information. Well, if they want to reach out, the site is wealthempire.com. I actually put out a market on the uh, a video on the market every day. You know, five or every week. Excuse me, it's five to ten minutes long. We also put out an email identifying a new alternative investment approach. We've done one on international real estate or timberland or tax lien certificates. And the idea is to get people familiar with other opportunities to make money um, and diversify their wealth. So if they want to get those, they're free. Just put in their email address on the website. They can find out more about the 13F Insider on there. Uh, there's also a phone number if they want to call or email and get more information. But, um, you know, we're happy to work with any new clients and just hope to expand people's knowledge base and, you know, show them that they don't need to pay 2% asset under management fees to, to grow their wealth and, and to become, uh, uh, you know, better investors. Right. So, so again, in case, in case anybody missed that, the website is? It is WealthEmpire.com. WealthEmpire.com. Okay, so, Ross, uh, final words for our listeners here. Well, look, don't let these markets scare you, okay? And, and when these turndowns happen, my best advice would be use them as opportunities to buy. And the biggest thing I see people get into is they get chased up in these bull markets and think everything's going to go higher, and then they turn back. They get scared. Identify stocks that you would be willing to own for the next five years, even if the market shut down. Okay, so that's Apple or that's Google or that's Procter & Gamble, whatever it is. Keep that list of top stocks you want to own and then wait for something temporarily bad to happen and buy those stocks and hold on to them. And that's a, that, that one piece of advice should, should save people a lot of money. Well, Ross, thank you very much. And it uh, sounds like it's working for a Wealth Empire here. So we've been talking with uh, Ross Givens, Chief Market Strategist for Wealth Empire out of Mobile, Alabama. And you've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not 
hearing elsewhere. Again, you can contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of any and of all, all of our interviews and shows, including today's strategicinvestorradio.com. This is Charlie Wright wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science. Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security.